Welcome to PM Chats, a podcast where I have casual conversations with product managers. I'm your host, Brie Morgan, and I head up content marketing at Canny.io. We're putting product managers front and center to see what makes them tick. We'll learn about their challenges, lessons learned, and ins and outs of successful product management to empower PMs and founders to build better products. This episode of PM Chats features Roxanne Gua, who's currently a PM at Evidation Health, a healthcare tech startup. They're a product manager with five years of work experience, mostly in the Bay Area and across multiple industries. They previously worked at other startups and also as an engineer at Apple and Google. This was a really interesting conversation. Not only did we have a chance to chat about some of the more technical aspects of product management like prioritization, but Roxanne has some really great insight into how to break into product management if you're unfamiliar with the space. And especially if you're a woman, if you're non-binary, if you're a person of color, anyone less represented in the tech space overall. That's what I really love about keeping these conversations pretty casual, is that there's room to take them in directions that I didn't necessarily anticipate or have questions pre-written out for. And I think that's a really important thing. Anyway, this conversation ended up being so great that we chatted for nearly an hour. So clearly you're getting a little bit of a truncated version of our conversation, but it was just a really great talk and I really enjoyed chatting with Roxanne and I hope you enjoy listening. So yeah, to get started, I know that a lot of different PMs have told me that they have had differing entry points into the role and that there isn't maybe a super standard, like this is how you get into product management. Can you give us a little bit of background around what your trajectory was and how you got into it? Yeah, totally. I think a lot of folks go in from consulting, some people going from engineering, some people are going from customer success. Personally, I did do computer engineering undergrad in Canada, and I did six internships, all of them technical, some in mobile, some in web, one even in uh, an iPhone production operations. Okay. And I just really lucked out. There was an opening in, on the Siri team for a product role. And as I was going through my engineering career, a lot of the problems that really attracted me was around the user. Mm-hmm. How does this impact the user? How, how, what is the user experience? Why are we building this? And a lot of the questions ended up getting me to talk to product managers. And there was a new team opening and she was hiring for a product. And it was because I had done two internships at Apple. It uh, was more or less of an internal interview. That's essentially how I got into product. To, to me, product management is much more of an art than a science. Mm-hmm. And depending on if you're managing a hardware product or a software product, if it's a large company, a smaller company, if it's in the growth phase, or if your product is more on maintenance phase, it's all very, very, it could be very different. Mm-hmm. So my background is more on B2C, more on larger teams or the product manager also does a lot of cross-functional communication, somewhat of herding cats. And I would say probably as my career advanced in 2018, so I started at Apple in 2015, I was there for three years, I left in 2018 to jump into healthcare basically and startups. I wanted to do more of the, the vision piece. And because to me, product management, you start with the vision and then you translate that vision into a strategy or a roadmap. Mm-hmm. And then you execute on the roadmap. Phase one would be vision, phase two would be strategy, phase three would be execute, and then phase four is feedback, retrospectives, and uh, taking the learning to dialing that into building a better product more effectively, more efficiently next time. And I do find that as startups, product managers are able to do more of the vision and the strategizing. 
Sure. Whereas at larger companies, uh, it might be more of a top-down culture, especially at Apple. It was much, it was quite top-down mm-hmm. um, product management. More or less focused a lot on the execution part, so sprint planning. You do get a say in product for sure, but I, I think it wasn't until I left the big company that I was able to really feel the, the, the whole spectrum, if you will. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And it's interesting because that's something I've heard before is that it really depends on what the role looks like and so many ways, like how the role is going to be. So that that really makes sense based on what I've heard as well. Do you think that there is anything that you would recommend for folks starting out in terms of a particular direction to go first or an angle to approach? Or is there, is that kind of just depend maybe on what your personal interest is? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It, it's a little tricky to answer. I, I want to say a mix of all of them. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it depends on what, what, what you feel is best for you, what you think you need right now, what you're able to compromise, what you're willing to compromise. I'll start off by saying to get a product role, it's much easier once you have the experience. I think it's not something that you can go into training for. So much of the role is you learn on the job mm-hmm. and you become a senior product manager by product managing so you have to continue just gaining experience on it so at some point in the very beginning someone needs to take a chance on you mm-hmm. and that's what I'm trying to do for the community as well I'm trying to give back and, and, and give forward give advice to people who are trying to get into product management especially people of color especially women actually the since I mentioned it the diversity in product is actually not too bad it's not nearly yeah. as bad as engineering yeah there's a lot more uh, females in product and I want to say people of color I think uh, from a cultural perspective, it's not that great, but I feel like woman to man, is, it's okay. I'm curious if the different entry points makes a difference there. I would imagine it does. The fact that it's not just all coming from engineering, it might have come from, you know. Consulting, consulting yeah, is a exactly. really, yes, consulting is a really popular path. So the type of training that consulting puts you through puts you in a good position to pass product interviews. Okay. That's interesting. I hadn't necessarily thought about that. Yeah, because to get you into the product role, you have to pass the, the interview. And, and the interview, again, process is also highly variant depending on which company you're going for. Mm-hmm. Google has its own set of interviews and also quality that they're interviewing for. Facebook has their own set. Apple has their own set. And then startups are just the Wild West. Startups usually depend on who your head of product is. So if your head of product comes from a Google background, they might focus a little more on the technical side. They might focus a little more on the business side. If they come from a Facebook background, they might really think about your product sense. Throw you a question of how would you design an alarm clock for the deaf? That is the, the canonical example okay. that people use. But to answer your question, Brie, of how to get into product management, if you're super determined to get into a big company or product management in a big company, there's textbook-like material that you can go through to get yourself in there. Then the barrier would just be, oh, how do you get that interview? It might come down to networking, might come down to references. It, that's another game that you have to play. But one key skill that I do see product managers need to have is you represent your product. You also represent the users that use your product. Internally, you represent the user that use your product. Externally, you represent your product. So can you, can I convince you, buyer, mm-hmm. to purchase my product? That is a skill that I don't think a big company needs as badly, but a small company, I think it's pretty critical. An interesting thing I wanted to pick back up on is what you said about mm-hmm. one side of a bigger company seems like it's much more focused on process, whereas at a startup, it's much more the visionary angle. And I'm curious if you could yeah. speak a little bit to your differences in experience there, and is there... Maybe not to hit the nail too much on the head. Is there one you prefer? But just to touch on that a little bit more. 
Yes, yes, I, I, I definitely have an answer here. So in 2018, when I left, I went to join a company of 100 people. I was mm-hmm. one of three start product managers and that company actually quickly ran out of money and I ended up working with the investor. I invested in that company to start our own company. So my progression went from one of thousands of product managers at Apple to one of three to the only person at the company. I, I think... I want to caveat this with, you don't need to have all the skills to be a great product manager. It really depends on what your company needs, what your team needs, and what stage your product is at. Also, your personal goals. Do you want to develop visionary skills? Do you want to develop process skills? So what I'm trying to say is you don't need all these skills to be a great product manager. Different positions seem like they're going to pull at different ones, and it's your responsibility to have a sense of what your goals are there and pick and choose your path a little bit. And it's really interesting because if you want to develop the visionary skills, you got to get out of the big company. Sure. But each, each position will stretch you in a different way. I would advise that you strategize your career trajectory in that way. And for me, that made sense. And that was one of the reasons why I, I had left because I wanted to develop that visionary piece. And that and path think, seems like it makes sense. That seems like it's an ordering that does, that, that feels intuitive. If that was the direction you wanted to go. Yeah, it made sense. It definitely makes sense looking back. It, at the time, I, I was like, what am I doing? I, I, I like left an extremely stable job sure. to go to this thing that crashed and, and just went belly up. And then now I'm like the only person at this company. It yeah. was it, totally my hat off to Andrew and Sarah because when you're a founder, there were these days where it just, it, it was super unnerving because if I wasn't working on it, no one was working on it. Mm-hmm. This company was literally come to a halt if I just stopped. Yeah, just and also I think pitching to investors mm-hmm. forced you to answer almost all the vision questions. Where would the company be in five to ten years? Mm-hmm. Why should I put two million dollars into your company? All these kind of questions force you to think like a product visionary, or at least sure. try to. I think given the position I'm at now, which is I think we're I think validation is just under 300. It's growing pretty fast, so I think it's just under 300. I, I would say I'm, I'm probably one of six, maybe product managers at the company. Both comes with its both as in the vision and the process comes with its merits. It comes with its pros and cons. And, and, and I think as your company grows, you have to have processes. And I love, I've referred to the, this YouTube video quite a few times this past month. It's a, a Spotify video about their engineering structure and how they use squads, uh, the okay. matrix structure. Instead of having like engineering managers managing things, they have squad leads that need a feature, a feature area for their mm-hmm. product. Yeah, they have a slide where it was like a canyon and the left side is process and the right side is complete chaos. And you want to walk that path for, for startups where um, you have minimal amount of process or just right amount of process to not fall into chaos. Sure. And I thought that was a really, uh, for me, it was a pretty accurate visualization. Because it seems like the opposing side of that would be so much process that you're like overcomplicating the process or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Process always comes with overhead. Sure. In terms of, so yeah, let's, can we talk about process a little bit more? How, I guess maybe to kick it off, like, again, I would love to hear the differences in terms of from a very large company to a start, like how that has worked. I'm assuming you had to implement some processes versus going into what was existing, which that must be an interesting challenge too. I I wonder if, if you are the first PM having to put all of that in place for the first time, that must be an interesting challenge in and of itself. Whereas if you're going into an existing company, there is probably an 
incredibly well fleshed out process there already that you just kind of have to learn. So weekly status reports, for example, that, that's something that pretty much every product manager working with their project manager at a larger company or at least at Apple, we sent out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that pretty much did not exist at smaller companies. Communication processes is something you need to intentionally build. If your question is more around release time and release timelines and and more around sprint planning, I want to say and I hope that all small companies have that figured out as well because you can't really ship product unless you have those timelines in place. So I don't think that's exactly exclusive to big companies. One of the things that you touched on that I've heard brought up a lot is the idea of I had someone describe it to me as being the center of a spoke where you might have your C-suite and you might have sales and you might have CS and like all of the other orgs have their own, they're all stakeholders and they all have their priorities and it might be your job to communicate with all of them why you're making the choices that you're making. Do you have any thoughts on that or any kind of lessons learned? I, I really think it's really important for product managers to have all the balls juggling in the air almost at the same time. but. Hmm. It, when you're first visualizing, when you're first wireframing the a new product idea, for instance, you should bring in, you should move in marketing because they are responsible for being that voice of the company and announcing your product to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So they should be a part of uh, creation of the thing in the beginning, or they should at least have a voice. So when I visualize it as a timeline, uh, in the very beginning, you have design, marketing, and products. And as you progress, at some point, you bring in engineering. And with engineering, it's, in my opinion, it's less about the vision part, and it's more about being a thought partner in do you feel like this is the right thing to build? Do you see any issues that I might, I might be missing from an engineering perspective, from a technology perspective, from a scalability perspective, from amount of work perspective? And I think that piece is, I, I do want to highlight that piece a, a little more just because engineering and product are so close together. Personally, I think it's best when engineering is brought in and they feel like they're a thought partner as opposed to being told what to do. Here, um, we made this decision, now build this. Yeah, I, I personally absolutely hate that. I, I find it much more invigorating myself to work with engineers who can push back on, on product ideas, mm-hmm. who ask why, who ask how did we land on and on this decision, or ask, oh, what if we did this instead, or just have that conversation back and forth. And the sooner you have that, the better, of course. And, and that piece is critical because engineering should also especially engineering leads or engineering managers or uh, head of engineering, they should, they have that architectural overview of your product. So when you're trying to build a new feature or build a new product on the platform, is that, does that actually fit with the larger, um, longer roadmap of what you're trying to build? And that's the piece that um, I love engineering to bring into the conversation. So to go back to our timeline, start with design marketing and go into engineering. You might have this loop of going back to design again if engineering pushes back and we might design something a little different. And throughout this entire timeline, again, depending on the size of your company, you need to keep all your stakeholders aware of the progress you're making, any large decisions you've made, any open questions, any risks. And your stakeholders might include privacy, your stakeholders might include legal, and your stakeholders will likely include your, depending on your product, it could include the executives. 
And it seems like what you're saying is pretty central is pretty important to that is looping folks in early and often. That seems to be a recurring thing that I've heard is that you want yes. to be looping those people in very early on so that you're not proclaiming decisions, I guess you could say. Correct. That is absolutely correct. I, I think that's like a distinction between okay product management and good product management. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's are you bringing everyone along? Do people feel like they're part of the conversation? Is the team in consensus? And I think the answer to all those questions directly speak to your quality of product management. And I think people under underestimate this wildly. If you if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you want to go together. Mm-hmm. And product management, frankly, to me at least, you don't build anything by yourself. What you're doing is you're working with people to, number one, you're working with people to find out exactly what your customers want. What exactly should you build? How much should you sell it for? And then you're working with people to design the right thing to build. And then you're working with people to build it. And then you're working with people to retrospectively learn from any mistakes you've made. Mm -hmm. There's no part in the process where you're not working with people. So I think it's a tremendous, it being able to get pull the people, pull the team along and have everyone understand why you're building this and why you're building it and what you're building. I think it's harder than, it's harder than it seems. I, I like to do this test where mid-development is, I would, during my one-on-ones with everyone on the team, I would ask them uh, if you want to just take the opportunity to to just describe, let's just talk about what exactly we're building. Like, how would you pitch the product to someone? How would you pitch the company? And everyone on the team, theoretically, should pitch something similar. But you're going to have different language and you're going to be able to pick out what are those things and what are, what are people saying at different stages. Yeah, that's great. What do you do if, or what would you recommend if there is an instance where there's the loudest voice in the room and that there's maybe someone who is an important stakeholder who is saying, we really need this thing and you have pushback there. Just to narrow down the scope, are we talking about a big company or a smaller one? It seems like you would have more flexibility uh, at a smaller company to be able to have some thoughts there. So maybe we'll stick with that, but both, I guess, but I'm thinking more, Yeah. I'm thinking more so like in the, I have had experiences where, you know, someone who is, like I said, maybe in an exec role is like, what about this thing? And they were very passionate about that thing. And maybe someone on marketing or sales is like, Eh, we, we really actually don't. That's not the thing that we really need there. But right. they are pushing yeah, that really right, hard. Right, and right. so like, how do you have it? How do you navigate that? Like maybe two different sides who feel we really need this thing or we really don't. That's a great question. And I might give a little like non-traditional answer. And, but I would start with uh, how well do you know the, the people and how well do you know this person that's giving this pretty strong, passionate or opinionated opinion mm-hmm. uh, right in the meeting. And I say that because... Is it, I'll just be very candid here. It could be very ego driven. Mm-hmm. It could be, they don't understand the product vision. They don't under, they don't actually, they, or they might understand it and they still feel like it's the right thing to build. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a misunderstanding. And to me, product management is it's so much ego management and, and just people management, not as in managing them, but having a good relationship and be able to, influence their their decisions is is also critical to uh, also I don't know I actually I don't know if it's underrated I think a lot of people yeah I, I think a lot of people do agree that is more than half the job I would say 
so I would say in in the meeting, if they do that, it's depending on how you how well the person you might not actually understand if they're where they're coming from. The step after that is one communicate to them the amount of research you've put together that you've conducted and compiled and communicated that got you to the the decision and the roadmap and the PRDs that the team has put together give them that context and get them on the same page as you and then have that conversation for okay now that we are on the same page of this is this is what this is everything we've done to get us to where we are today now that you understand that as well what do you think do you still feel do you still feel really compelled about us de-scoping or deprioritizing something else because we have limited resources to prioritize this feature that you mentioned. And I, that's, I, I, that, that's definitely the first approach I go with, unless this is just a bad Apple exec who just sure. doesn't really listen to, and they definitely exist. And you question how they even got there, but they just don't really listen to reason and they're just really passionate about this one thing that they want to get, have it get done. Do you feel like that's something that you, not the bad exact instance, but do you feel like that's something that you run into often that's a big aspect of the role in terms of saying this is advocating for why you're building the thing that you're building? It seems like that's Yeah, what- yeah absolutely. I think uh, when you have opinionated people, passionate people, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And with any conversation, any conversation that you have with opinionated, passionate people, they're going to have ideas. Mm-hmm. And they might be really forthcoming with their ideas. They might be, they're, they're passionate. They think this is a great idea. They think it's good for the company. They think it's good for the business. They think it's going to get them a lot of revenue. They think the users are going to love it. They think this is a great time to launch it this fall and bundle it together with Halloween. We, we must do this. We got to do it. It's going to be a huge revenue bump. Mm-hmm. I think it's very healthy. And I think it's absolutely the product manager's responsibility to stand your ground or maybe not or maybe they do have a good point and mm-hmm. and then you make trade-offs I also yeah trade-offs is totally something that product managers have to do on a regular basis you say okay we hypothesize this will give us a five million dollar revenue bump but we're deprioritizing we're bumping down we're bumping back this new feature that we've been implementing for the past four months and we can't release it by december if we're going to release this thing by halloween Mm-hmm. gonna have to push that down to february and then you say okay maybe we can bundle that with valentine's day it's it's trade-offs and it's strategizing on the go and i absolutely think the the finish line it's moving it's a moving finish line and i and i hesitate saying that because i don't want that to to register as it's okay for the finish line to never be rigid it should always be, yeah. it, it, exactly it, that's not the healthy behavior it's more of it, it can move but you should have a method to the madness. You should have a reason for moving it. I'm curious what some of the worst mistakes that you think someone could make in the role. And so it seems like maybe one of those might be undervaluing the importance of that kind of interpersonal navigating that communication and those kind of softer skills there. To me, <laughs> mistake that I've definitely made was from scoping. Okay. Uh, and that my first project was from lack of experience, you don't have that intuition mm-hmm. of, okay, this big of a project with six engineers, how long do I, act? can I actually finish this in six months? Mm-hmm. And also uh, you, you want to give yourself some buffer time. So I, I think that is a common mistake that early on product managers do end up making. Mm-hmm. For me personally, it, what ended up happening is just 
constant descoping. As we went along, we realized, oh, we can't make that in a month's time descope. And yeah, and fortunately, from hindsight, if it, you could describe it like we were trimming down the fat instead of trimming down muscle, that's like a very painful <laughs> analogy I'm trying to make. But I think I could have scoped better and then communicate as well and push back as well management wanted us to do that in that time and I think also early on in your career you want to do your best and and you want to uh, show that you're capable but I think the right thing to do and I think product managers do have to be ruthless in communicating early and flagging risks early and, Mm -hmm. and saying that we don't have enough resources to ship the give the team three more engineers or we have to we can only ship we can't ship all, all five features, we only ship three. And it seems like that's something that being able to feel more comfortable voicing those things and like having your voice there and having it be heard, like that has to just come the more you're in the role and the more you get comfortable and you can gauge like, no, we, we can't do this. A, you can gauge it and B, you feel comfortable speaking out about it. Like personally, I'll share something, we'll be a little vulnerable and, and share my personal experience in that as I develop confidence in other facets of my life, my, I mean, like my, my relationship with my partner at the, at the time, my relationship with my parents and how, how I perceive myself. Also, I was closeted for a, a long time and it, all of that dials into your work confidence too. And I, people are, are 360 where we're not just, we're not binary and this is my work self. And then this is I, who I am. Yeah, exactly. I actually don't think we're like that. So I, I think, learning to love yourself and being a better human um, helps in being more confident at work. I think, I think we all understand that the, the loudest person in the room, unfortunately, always gets the point across. And I think there's this being a little more ruthless and I'll speak now and I'm going to, I'm going to speak now and I speak. And the third thing that I think definitely works, and I've seen this brought up in blog posts as well is use data. Numbers uh, speak louder than um, the loudest speaker. I, I don't know what the <laughs> best way to say that is, but bring in data. When you have user metrics, when you have uh, market market numbers, research numbers, you bring those in to your conversation to make your point across. That's a good That's a good thing to have. In addition to being able to, obviously, hopefully you have that confidence that grows in your ability in all facets of your life, and you can actually speak up and stand your ground and feel confident that your voice matters and should be heard for whatever reason. But it's also probably good to be able to bring something to the table just in case maybe you're not quite there yet or that doesn't hit in the way that you want yeah. to do. Yeah, I, I, if, if I was speaking to a person, uh, a more entry-level product manager, I would say uh, don't ever forget that every product, any, any product manager that's no longer entry-level has once upon a time been entry-level. So you're not alone. And in a way, anybody who's not empathizing with you and not allowing you uh, the opportunity to speak is just an uh, awful person. When you do speak, just bring value. I, I, I can definitely put a finger on the, the folks and they're not, aren't definitely, there aren't many of, that, of those, but it's just a lot of fluff talk in the conversation and, and just like very managerial talk. I don't know how better to describe it. The buzzwords and just, it's very substantive. Yeah. Exactly. Just bring substance. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to like fluff it. Just bring substance and people can see that. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges or blockers for being able to do your job effectively? It's working with dicks. Sure. <laughs> just people who are not... <laughs> 
you it, it's so obvious in a meeting at least to me when someone's ego is getting the best of them I try not to take things personally also definitely it's absolutely frustrating when you're working with someone who can't put the product first and can't put the business first and, and you're having a conversation and let's just focus on this decision let's just uh, focus on making the right call for the business and making the right call for the product. It's not about your feature. I don't have such a visceral experience with this. I only had a borderline experience. I'm very fortunate to not have worked with a engineering manager or engineering director who is like this. But I, I want to say, especially, I, I think especially people at bigger companies, maybe where you're some of the ways they say certain things almost sound condescending and there's a lot of territorialness of this is my product area and you can feel that yeah you can feel that as a product manager when you're when your product kind of goes side to side with their product and there's a feature that might step into their product area and you can feel if they're are they going to help you or are they going to just every question you ask they're just going to shut it down or they or maybe even make you feel not good for even asking that kind of question. I, I definitely think people are the biggest blockers. That goes back to what you were saying about managing egos in a lot of exactly. cases and having that be a big component. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I'll close it off with if you feel like you're just ego managing all the time, I don't really know if it's a good environment for you to be in. I think it's, yeah, I think it's part of the job, but I don't think it's the job. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. If that's a challenge to that extent, there's maybe larger structural Correct. problems within the company that you can't, uh, you can't effectively manage your way out of just by doing it well. Yeah, correct. I love that. And like, you were able to focus on some things that I haven't heard as much from folks. So I definitely um, didn't focus on some other things that I feel like anyone can just share and tried to highlight some of the, because I love a lot of what you had to say that does feel like really tangible, wonderful advice for someone who might be trying to get into the space and actually starting out, which I just love because I don't feel like you hear a ton of that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to talk. I don't want to talk at people. I wanted to be inclusive and have it be a conversation. Thanks for listening to PM Chats. If you have questions or comments, or you've got someone in mind you think I should have a chat with, or if you'd like to share your expertise, please feel free to send me an email at brie at canny.io. Reviews are great too. We're just starting this podcast out, and I'd really love to hear what you have to say. If you'd like to learn more about Canny, head over to canny.io, or check out the Canny blog at canny.io slash blog. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll catch the next conversation here on PM Chats.